0: Two pitch. A swing a Deep left. Way back. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. We're breaking down the Cleveland Indians farm system and to help us do that, we are joined by Teddy Cahill. Teddy is a Cleveland native. He has covered the Indians farm system for us here at Baseball America for years He has a top-to-bottom view of the organization. Teddy, Cleveland's in kind of an interesting place. Over the last two years, we've seen them trade Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger. There's obviously a lot of talk about this being Francisco Lindor's last year. If he even does make it to opening day with the Indians, his name has been rumored in a lot of trades. The organization as a whole is undergoing a change. They're going to be changing their name after the 2021 season. So... On the one hand, the Indians are a team that has made the playoffs four times in the last five years and still has a really, really good core of talent. On the other hand, it does feel like there's a lot of change coming within the next couple of years. Again, we've already seen them make some trades of some big-name guys in previous years. It feels like there's more coming. When you look at where the Indians are as an organization, major leagues, farm system, how do you kind of assess where they are?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult question, it's a difficult place that they're in as a franchise i think it really comes down to what lens you want to look at this through there's there's a way to look at this as look they had a unanimous cy young winner they had the al mvp runner up like even if you subtract lindor from that like how many teams would sign up to start building around shane bieber and jose ramirez and jose ramirez and shane bieber both by the way are under team control through at least 2023 so you know that's a good starting point and it's not like jose ramirez is signed to some ridiculous contract that they're gonna to have to get out from under it's a totally reasonable deal so like that's a really good starting point they have a young exciting core they've proven that are a young, exciting core of their farm system. They've proven that they can, you know, develop pitching, uh, you know, very reliably. James Karinchek, Tristan McKenzie, reached the big leagues this year. You know, you include Shane Bieber, Zach Plesac, Aaron Savale. Like, I mean, it. The list runs on and on. There's a lot of homegrown talent in that pitching pipeline. So that's the very, like, optimistic, like, what could possibly be wrong here view. Uh, There is, however, also a view that, you know, since they lost the World Series in 2016, they, A, haven't been back to that stage, but also, B, have been, you know, they've been caught in the Central, that they now have lost the Central in back-to-back years to the Twins. And, if you look over your shoulder, there come the White Sox. They just hired Tony Larusa. They're clearly in win now mode, and you know they didn't finish that far behind the Indians this year. So you, you combine that with the idea that Francisco Lindor probably doesn't play in Cleveland after the 2021 season. A lot of people expect that he doesn't even play there in the 21 season. But you know, let's say he does play there, he's almost certainly gone at that point. And this is a team that in back-to-back years now has seen Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger traded, Michael Brantley, Jason Kipnis, Corey Kluber all walk as free agents uh, a year ago. Now, Carlos Santana has already walked this year. So where does that leave the franchise? Um, You know, you, you you can talk all you want about the young players in the farm system, but they you know, it it does feel like, in some respects, the team has taken a step back since 2016, and they still haven't won a World Series in 72 years. So if you want to take the optimistic view, like, I fall more on the optimistic side, like, I would want to build around Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez. There's very little in terms of dollars committed, uh, you know, to anyone on this team. So there's a little bit of blank slateness, uh, and in this uncertain economic time, like, I certainly see the advantage to that. I also think it says a lot that both Mike Chernoff and Chris Antonetti were rumored to be in the mix for, you know, jobs running baseball departments in Philly and New York and wherever this winter, Uh, and both of them said, no thanks, we want to stay in Cleveland. So I, I want to trust that group Uh, Because since those guys were promoted to their current roles of Antonetti as president and Chernoff as GM in October 2015, only the Dodgers and Astros have won more games than the Indians. But I do understand where some of the angst comes from, especially if you view it through like the historical Cleveland lens and even more specifically the the historical tribe lens of players getting traded, players leaving via free agency.
0: Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I think you go back to last decade. Well, now two decades ago, we're in the 2020s, but Cliff Lee, CC Sabathia, Victor Martinez. But one thing I think that's encouraging, and you mentioned the optimist view, is while the Twins did catch them for the AL Central Crown in 2019, that Indians team still won 93 games. This wasn't a team that fell off and won 84 games, 85 games. And even this year, obviously an abbreviated 60-game season, they were only one game back of first place, So it does feel like this is a team that, in spite of all those losses you mentioned, Brantley, Kluber, Kipnis, guys who were really core players of that 2016 team, they've still managed to be competitive. And like you mentioned, there's reason to believe that while you cannot replace a Francisco Lindor, there is enough talent here to remain a team that is at least in the discussion for the postseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that You know, with Lindor in 21, this team is the World Series contender they've been for the last several years. If you subtract him, are they still that team? I'm not sure. I I still think they're a playoff contender. Playing in the AL Central is an advantage, let's face it. Um, You know, the Royals and the Tigers don't look like that they're ready to exit rebuilds anytime soon. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to say I'll believe it when I see it with the White Sox, because to an extent you saw it this year, but they also still kind of have to prove something over a a longer season, I would say. But, you know, the, I, I think right now, the bigger question is like, okay, what happens in 22 and 2023 because at that point are some of the younger players ready? Are they able to supplement the core of Bieber and Ramirez? Like what does that team look like? And I would say, I feel good about, what this front office has proven they're capable of doing in terms of building around some key pieces. But I also do understand the you know questions of, you know, just what are the finances going to be and, and to what, what constraints are they going to be operating under? But, you know, when you look at the consistency that they've had over the last six, seven years, it's, it's pretty strong. And I don't think that there's, a reason to to think that that would suddenly go away, especially when you look at some of the young talent on the major league roster already. Never mind what might be coming up.
0: In regards to who is coming up, we know that will be critical for the Indians to continue this run of excellence. Tristan McKenzie is once again the number one prospect in this system. He had been the top ranked player in this system for a couple of years. Then the injury bug hit. He missed half of 2018. He missed all of 2019, tumbled down the list a little bit just because of the uncertainty surrounding his durability, came back healthy this year, really was a very, very key contributor for the Indians after Mike Clevenger and Zach Plisek were suspended for violating COVID-19 protocols, stepped right into the rotation, performed admirably, moved into the bullpen, continued to pitch well there. He's back at the top of this list, how much debate was it between him and Nolan Jones, who in his own right is a very, very highly regarded young position player, albeit one who still has yet to play above double A?
1: Yeah, that's a – it's kind of a tough one. I, it's not as simple as saying, like, it was It was McKenzie clear cut. There, there's a very clear case for Nolan Jones – Um, because a lot of the questions that existed about Tristan McKenzie and his durability, like, yeah, he threw 33 really, really good big league innings, but because of when he came up and how long the season was, he didn't have a chance to say like, okay, yeah, I know the last two years I had some injury issues and 2019 was just a totally lost year for me, but look, I threw 130 innings anyway, like, he, he didn't have that opportunity. So has he really cleared that bar again? And I think you can ask that question. But I think internally, the Indians view what McKenzie did, the majority of people within the organization anyway, would view what he did on the big league level as saying, you know, asserting, I am back and I am the player that everyone thought I was a couple of years ago and i'm willing to go along with that you know he's a guy that pitched really well in the big leagues nolan jones is a guy that you know just got to double a at the end and in some ways that's also unfair to nolan jones he surely would have advanced further or at least proven himself more at double a in 2020 had that opportunity been given so you know i for me it, it's you know mckenzie's a clear one but i don't think that's without debate
0: Given his durability questions, which, as you mentioned, he didn't have a chance to really answer this year just by nature of the season, but he came up and performed and did what he was asked to do. What is the realistic upside here? What should Indians fans expect?
1: It's hard to talk about, you know, who can be an ace, who can't be an ace. You know, I half jokingly, half not jokingly, and then at the end, uh, talked about Shane Bieber as a future ace in the minor leagues, and then... As he was getting closer to Cleveland, it became much less of a joke that I thought he could be an ace, and, like, now here he is doing it. But, you know, nobody really took that particularly seriously, and I don't think even I expected that it would look like this. Uh, I mean, I certainly didn't. I didn't rank him like that. Um, you know, and I, you know, nobody thought that Corey Kluber was going to be a multi-time Cy Young Award winner either. So, you know, I don't want to put ceilings on McKenzie – I think that, you know, he can go and be a really good starter in the big leagues. There are always going to be questions about can he throw enough innings uh, until he does it. And, you know, if you look at the body, uh, you know, it's totally understandable. I I think people who watch the Indians, you know, this summer with with him playing, you know, have a feeling for why that question exists. You know, he doesn't look like a guy – you know, like a Verlander or a Cole or somebody that you envision like, okay, they can go out and throw 200 innings. So can he do that? Does that matter in the modern game even, or in the contemporary game? I don't even know, but I I think what he, if you just break down the pitches and the way that he controls the zone and the way that he thinks about the game, I think he has all the pieces to be a frontline guy Um, You know, some of it's just going to depend on how many innings can he throw, how many innings is he asked to throw, um, you know, and and then what does he do when the lights are truly on, because that's one thing that nobody can really predict, uh, and even a a short sample doesn't truly show, but I would say the fact that he fared as well as he did down the stretch uh, in the heart of a playoff race, I, I think that bodes well for his future.
0: Absolutely. And I do think that you trust the Indians pitcher development. We'll see what next year looks like. I think that will be very, very instructive in helping us kind of figure out, okay, this is what Tristan McKenzie is capable of. This is what his durability looks like, but there's no question the talent is there. And as you mentioned, guys like Bieber, Kluber, and as you've mentioned earlier in the podcast, you can really run down the list. Generally speaking, you're going to trust the Indians pitcher development group to get the most from their arms. Teddy, we're going to jump into the two to 10 group here in a second. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, Teddy. So we've hit on Tristan McKenzie. And one of the things that has plagued the Indians, at least these last couple of years, again, this is still a team that's been very, very competitive, an offense that really has not been particularly good, especially outside of Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, and to a degree, Fran Reyes that's mostly been concentrated in the outfield. There really has not been any sort of offensive impact coming from their outfielders. And as such, we've seen them acquire a whole bunch of guys from outside the organization over the last two years. And as we move into this two to 10 group, I do feel like this is the group that's going to, it's going to be very important for this particular group of players to be as productive as people think they can be simply because the offense is where the Indians are really going to need some help in the foreseeable future and at the top of that list is nolan jones he's officially a third baseman. at times he's been talked about as a first baseman a left fielder but at the end of the day it's going to be about his bat what kind of hitter are the indians potentially looking at here and was there anyone else really even in this debate for him to be the top position player prospect in this system
1: well, let's start with there first, and I would say the answer is no. Tyler Freeman is your next guy at number three to spoil the list. Uh, but he, you know, Freeman is a good player, but he's, you know, it, he might be every bit as good of a player as Nolan Jones, but he's a step below on the ladder, and it becomes pretty easy to say, well, I'll take I'll take the guy that's a step ahead and that hits for more power. Um, so I would say Jones was a clear-cut best position player, number two prospect. He is a very disciplined hitter. He's going to bring some power. He can hit for average. Really. He should be able to do everything you want offensively. Um, you know, he's not, it, there are guys with more power. Bobby Bradley has more power. I've, I've never labeled Nolan Jones as the best power hitter in the Indian system. Um, in fact, I rarely label Nolan Jones as having any one of the best tools that we label. Um, you know, there are guys that maybe have better uh, strike zone judgment, but Nolan Jones is really good for a young power hitter in terms of strike zone judgment. He's not going to be all or nothing, and he is going to put the bat on the ball a lot. So, you know, I, I think he's a really capable hitter that can hit in the middle of the Indians lineup. Um you know he's uh, he, he's not as as speedy as uh, as Ramirez or Lindor, so it's going to be a little bit of a different profile. Um, you know to to move into the order, but he should be able to to eventually be some sort of middle of the order impact hitter for the Indians.
0: Yeah, he's definitely someone that has caught scouts' eyes for a couple of years. We saw him come to Cleveland and play at Progressive Field for the Futures Game last year, or so. Someone that there's a lot of optimism about, got up to double A last year, potentially could make his major league debut in 2021. Where does he play defensively? Because that is a question a lot of people have had about him.
1: Yeah, and some of the reason why that question gets asked is because Jose Ramirez plays third base, and that's where Nolan Jones has been playing. And so Ramirez is versatile enough that they could move him if they wanted, I think that because, you know, they've had that option for a few years, and Jose Ramirez has said that he would prefer to stay in one spot for a year, not bounce back and forth, and so they've decided that that spot is third base, and I think that's where Jose Ramirez prefers at this point. Now, does he stay there? Would they maybe envision moving him back to second base? I think that's a possibility but jose because Jose Ramirez plays third base nolan jones 's first position in the big leagues is probably not going to be third base and it 's possible he never plays there he 's worked really hard to improve his defense um, that that 's been a a long time thing that that was true like when he came out of the draft, people were wondering about that. I think if he 's not a third baseman, he can play in the outfield. Um, the Indians like giving guys versatility anyway, so they've tried him at first. They've tried him. They've introduced him to first. They've introduced him to the outfield. Some of it's just going to depend on where the opening comes first when he's ready. Uh, they have no set outfielders. They don't really have a set first baseman right now either, so it shouldn't be a problem to find him a spot. But they do have a lot of guys that can play in either of those positions. So I think that. You know, to give a very non-answer, I think the Indians are just going to look at it at at the time that he's ready and say, "Well, is Josh Naylor better in left field or first base or Nolan Jones or Franmil Reyes or any of the many Jake Bowers, any of the many players that they've acquired that can do these things?" And say, "Well, if they if we're set here, then Nolan goes here." Um, I, I, that that's one thing they they value is this versatility. So they've created it, and and I think that's going to be big for him as he tries to break in.
0: Yeah. And going back to Jose Ramirez, I think we have to note, he has played third base exclusively the last two years. The last time he played second base was in 2018 and he did that for 16 games. He really hasn't played second base with any sort of regularity since 2017. So at this point, I mean, but given
1: the kind of athlete he is, I would say that give him a sprint training and tell him you're a second baseman. I think he'd be fine.
0: It's very possible at the same time, we do see that more often than not, it's the established guy who keeps his position and the young guy that has to move as opposed to the other way around. But again, we'll be interested to see where he ends up first and foremost, though, it's about the bat. You mentioned Tyler Friedman comes next after that group. That's the top 100 prospect group. If you will, there's a really kind of interesting mix of lower level players who you can see decent potential on, but are super far away. And as we know, if you have seven or eight really good prospects in a ball, Probably only two or three of them are going to make it. They're strength in numbers, and the Indians certainly have that. Take us through this next group. Bo Naylor, George Valera, Brian Rocchio, Daniel Spino, Ethan Hankins, Aaron Bracco, all very talented. None have played above low A. Then you have Gabriel Arias, who reached high A last year in the Padres system, came over in 2020 as part of the Mike Clevenger trade, has had some offensive questions, appeared to click in the second half of 2019, but it's really kind of TBD how it's going to play moving forward, depending on his plate discipline. How did you kind of stack this group up? Because there's so many guys here with very similar upsides, but they're all very far away.
1: Yeah. I want to just say that you can order this pretty much any way you want. I I don't think there's a whole lot of separation three through 10 here. Um, Frankly, you might even say three through 11 because Gabriel Rodriguez, uh, who's the youngest of any of these guys, but was a top international signing. I believe in the 18 class, um, he was number 10 in the system last year. With Arias coming in, he slides back a spot. You know, they're all super high ceiling players. They they haven't proven a whole lot yet. You know, Arias slight exception to that, um, but he comes with uh, you know kind of a thing. That some of these other players don't have, in that you know, his plate discipline is, is behind every one of these, these hitters. Uh, he's an outstanding defender, however, which which makes up for that. And you know, I'll, I'll be very interested to see what the Indians can do with him because they don't have a whole lot of players who for whom plate discipline is a problem. They generally select for guys who control the strike zone really well, make a lot of contact. And he's not like that. So now that they have a player like that, are they able to work with him to develop that? Or is that something that they have to find out in the wild? And, and you know, can, can they teach it or can they not teach it? And so I'm gonna be interested in it from that, from that standpoint. I think when you look at you know, those two arms, Daniel Espino and Ethan Hankins, they're high school pitchers taken a year apart from the Georgia prep ranks. Uh, inevitably going to be compared to each other until they get to the big leagues or somebody gets traded, I guess. Uh, but they, uh, they're, they're both big-time fastballs, you know, big-time potential. Uh, and, and the rest of these guys, in, in terms of hitting, you know, that you've got premium position player and, and Bo Naylor, and I think that basically puts him at the top of this list, you know, finding a guy that can catch, uh, and he has really good framing ability um, to the extent that we can measure that in the low minors, uh, his arm still is a little iffy, but he's a great hitter, one of the best offensive performers in the, the alternate training site this uh, this summer, and he's doing it as a catcher. So I think that pushed him to the top for me, but you know, if you want to bet on George Valera's bat, this is a guy that people have talked about as you know being comparable to Juan Soto obviously on a little slower timeline than that but that that kind of impact hitter potentially or Brian Rocchio who you know is an excellent athlete you know an incredible defender at shortstop or if you want to bet on Espino and Hankins you know power arms like I would get any of that you know I, I think sometimes we get hung up on orders and rankings and and I get it like we all you know I i I do too at times, but you know the the bounty of what they have here is is what's exciting. Not necessarily the or the exact order or who's going to get there first or whatever. Um, you know they have they have a lot of quality through quantity here, but also through true quality. So it's you're you're right to say that some of these guys won't make it. That's the nature of teenage prospects. Um, but you know th- this wave. Is kind of the core of the farm system going forward, and what gives it the farm system like top ten top five upside over the next couple of years
0: yeah and that 's what 's always kind of interesting seeing systems like this where you can see the talent you see these guys, you understand what makes them so highly thought of it 's just again things can go sideways with injuries or they hit a wall double a we see it all the time and trying to kind of suss out which of these guys is going to be the best major leaguer, which at the end of the day is what a top 10 prospect ranking is. This guy is going to be the best major leaguer. This guy is going to be the second best. It makes it difficult. And I will say, I agree with you that there's sort of this interesting pool of prospects. And, you know, we talked about it just to pull back the curtain here at Baseball America, this four, five, six, there were a lot of debates about, is this really a clear cut four, five, six, or you could argue they're all tied for fourth and you move into the seven to 11 ranges you talked about and you could order it in any which way. And at the end of the day, having this much talent, even if only two or three of these guys hit, that's potentially two or three impact players.
1: Yeah. And and it's at positions you want them to be really impactful at, right? I mean, you've got a catcher and nailer, you've got, couple shortstops or three shortstops. If you go to 11 or if you go to 12, there's another shortstop in Carson Tucker, who's the first round pick, Um, you know, and and you've got a couple premium arms. Aaron Bracho is a second baseman uh, right now, basically because of everything around him. And, you know, he is a slightly lesser defender than O'Brien Rocchio, but, you know, again, up the middle. George Valera is kind of the one that's more of an offensive oriented position. And and maybe that puts a little more onus on his bat. I mean, it certainly does, but uh, he is an outfielder in a a team that has been looking for outfielders for what feels like five years now. Um, So this is a very important group and they, everyone in that group in in the top 10 there with the exception of Rochio, because he went home during the pandemic, they all were at the altar training site. They were some of the youngest players at any alternate training site. And it's going to be very interesting and important that the Indians take them from that environment, that that controlled environment in Lake County, and and are able to, to help them back into a traditional minor league development system. And this is going to be true for every team around baseball, but for these guys specifically, being as young as they were in that environment, how do you now then you know, move them on and and keep them progressing as you were hoping to do. It's, it's one of the most important questions facing the Indians in 2021, frankly.
0: Where did the bulk of these guys start given that they were at the alternate training site, given that they got that great experience. And most of them, again, were finishing at low A or below last year Arius and Freeman were in high a, they could potentially go to double a, but do these guys skip a level? Do they just put them back right where they normally would have been probably at high A or in some cases low A for the short season guys? How do they handle that moving forward?
1: It's uh, it's really tricky. It's also really tricky because they have, you know, for several of these guys, it's a, it's a shortstop log jam issue. So if you look at Tyler Freeman, um, you know, who was at high A you know, he's a step ahead of them, like, okay, what do you do with him and Arius? you know, somebody has to go to Akron, somebody has to, you know, go to Hyatt. A, you know, presumably nobody's ready for Columbus yet. So like, do they, do they have to hold somebody back as a result? Do they mix them in playing second base or, or third base, or does somebody get accelerated to Columbus? Um, you know, th- Those are tricky questions. I think that, you know, the Indians traditionally have been pretty conservative. I think that in some ways, for, for some of these players I think they're going to just say like okay this year kind of would have been whatever you expected it to be last year so you know I it, it's really it, it, it's really hard to say that Naylor is going to jump over high A and go straight to double A but because of the nature of developing catching but maybe his bat forces their hand and he has to and then the the Espino and Hankins question is really difficult. They are very like the part of the pitching pipeline is that they're pretty conservative, especially with their high school arms and they develop them at each level. Daniel Espino already forced them to accelerate his timeline. Does he now force them to accelerate again? Um, you know, I, I I think they could go a few different ways with these assignments. And I think ultimately this group does get broken up a little bit. Um, but the the most interesting one is, to me is how they line up Freeman, Arias, and uh, Rocchio, Assuming he's able to get back into to the U.S. Hopefully, we're um, in a better COVID situation that that he's able to to return to, to the states for that. But you know, just just in that one example, how do you how do you orient these these shortstops who are so important for the team? And I think ultimately, probably Freeman and Arias go to Akron together and with the idea that one of them is going to get promoted to Columbus as soon as they're ready. Uh, But that that could be a really fun infield if they are together, even just for a few months.
0: Yeah. I was actually just thinking that, that the Akron middle infield with Tyler Freeman and Gabriel areas could be very, very fun to watch next year. Teddy, you hit on this earlier, but the Indians have struggled to find outfielders, four years, just since the end of the 2018 season, they've acquired Jordan Lublo, Delano De Shields, Fran Moraes, Oscar Mercado, Josh Naylor, and Daniel Johnson, all in trades, just trying to find answers. Fran Moraes has been productive since coming over. Oscar Mercado was pretty good in 2019, was really not good last year. They've just been trying to acquire guys in bulk to try and find some answers, And for the most part, they still haven't really found them. Again, Reyes has been an answer, but he's a designated hitter for all intents and purposes. You could argue they need three outfielders moving forward. And because of that, it does feel like George Valera, given that he's the only outfielder in their top 10, and that's the position they need the most. Again, if they lose Francisco Lindor, obviously you need shortstops, but they have multiple options to potentially, not that you ever really replace Francisco Lindor, but play an able major league caliber shortstop where on the outfield side, it feels like it's a lot slimmer pickings and there's a lot riding on Valera being the hitter. A lot of people hope he can be.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think they would look at it more as if we have these really good offensive players at other positions, we don't need the outfield as much. So if we have, um, you know, if Bo Naylor develops as a catcher, and then we get really good offense from the catcher position, maybe we don't need our left fielder to be quite as productive. Now, I mean, that works in theory. It's harder to pull off in practice. And it also, I mean, you still have to field three outfielders who aren't zeros, you know, in, in the lineup. So it is it is important about Valera. There, there's no doubt about that. But I wouldn't say that, you know, all their eggs are in that basket because that A is just a ton to put on the player and B a ton to put on the development staff that like, this is the one guy that we have to absolutely get right Um, because they have shown that they're willing to trade for outfielders, first of all. And then, you know, some of these infielders are not going to be infielders. We've already talked about the idea that Nolan Jones could move. Tyler Freeman is a shortstop now and nobody really, I mean, he keeps everybody keeps saying Tyler Freeman's going to move off of shortstop and yet he keeps playing shortstop. He keeps proving like, well, we can keep giving him chances and may- maybe he'll do it, but ultimately there are going to be better defensive shortstops. So the expectation has been second base, but what if he moves to the outfield, you know, um, you-, you didn't mention Josh Naylor in that, you know, that they-, they have that option now as well. So they need to get Valero right but they, in, in the sense that they need outfielders. But I would say that, you know, some of this, I think they're hoping is going to kind of take care of itself as these guys matriculate up and, you know, get forced into being more versatile, or they're going to continue to, to look to acquire outfielders in trades. For whatever reason, the outfield has been a problem for a really long time. It You know, it, it, it goes back a considerable ways that they just haven't been good at developing them. Tyler Naquin came up and was a rookie of the year finalist and never was really able to, to build on that. Bradley Zimmer is still hanging around as a, another former first round pick and who injuries have kind of derailed and, and he hasn't established himself. So, you know, they have a lot of options and, and they're trying to build uh, you know, quality through quantity um, that hasn't worked to this point but you know maybe they'll be able to hit on something going forward but it would make everyone's lives a lot easier if Valera is able to you know get on track and move forward and be the prototypical right fielder that there's the hope that he could be
0: yeah i think you can imagine a scenario where oscar mercado goes back to being more what he was in 2019 next year with a more normal season, goes back up, plays center field. And at the very least is a positive contributor. Josh Naylor, there's a lot of promise in the bat, whether he can really play left field or not has been open to some debate, but maybe he goes up and he's able to at least play it well enough with his bat that you can deal with it. And then all of a sudden, all you have is one hole and hopefully Valera can fill it or if not someone else, it's a lot easier to fill one than three. So I think that's going to be the interesting development to watch what happens to the Indians outfield and the major leagues with some of these guys they've acquired in addition to Valera's development. Teddy, you mentioned Rodriguez was someone who was in contention for this top 10. He ultimately ended up at number 11 in part because they brought in Gabriel Arias in the midseason trade for Mike Clevenger. How many other guys were in the debate for the top 10 here? Was it really just 11 for 10 spots?
1: Yeah, I think it was more an 11 for 10 spot situation. I mean, anytime you have a first round pick, like you kind of have to consider is that player a top 10 player? Usually they are, but the Indians were unique. Uh, I shouldn't say unique. The Indians were abnormal last year in that, Nobody graduated. Nobody got traded. the The top ten was all back, and you know, because of the nature of the season, you know, nobody had really had an opportunity to fail or, or go backwards. Nobody got hurt, so the top ten from last year was was sitting there with the addition of Gabriel Arias. Um, you know, so whether it's eleven or twelve, you know, it was it was a pretty limited you know group, and um, you know which. It is maybe a little boring, but from my perspective, I was I was okay with because, you know, a couple of years ago, I felt like the entire, you know, system kind of reoriented when with the the, the, the coming of, of Naylor and Valera and Rocchio, uh, you know, that group just starting to the, the, to swell up. All of a sudden, the, the top 10 looked very different than what I had been used to. So uh, a year of static, uh, I'm okay with.
0: One other thing that I think it's important to hit on is, especially for a team like the Indians who develop standouts, but because of budgetary constraints often has to trade them, you need to make sure and hit on your trade returns. So I want to ask, what is the status of, in the case of the Trevor Bauer trade, Logan Allen, who they got from the Padres, and Scott Moss, who they got from the Reds, and then the Clevenger trade, we hit on Arias, but they also brought in Joey Cantillo, Owen Miller among prospects. What's the status of Cantillo, Miller, Allen, and Moss?
1: Well, uh, you know, Cantillo and Miller both showed up relatively late. Um, you know, that trade happened in, in late August. Uh, so the Indians have had some time with them, but not a ton of time. So, you know, they are interesting pieces. Uh, you know, Cantillo is, you know, getting him in with Indians pitching development, uh, I, I think has the potential to maybe unlock something more. They've shown that ability before. And if they can, especially help him unlock some velocity. I, I think that would be uh, a, a big deal for him. Owen Miller is a player that I'm probably underrating, that the industry is probably underrating, uh, and that we also can't forget about the idea that, you know, somebody has to go play shortstop in Akron and Columbus. Like, Owen Miller's in that mix too. I, you know, He probably goes to AAA, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him in the big leagues next year. I don't know precisely what he is. He's probably a second baseman maybe a utility infielder uh, at worst, but he, uh, he does an exceptional job of putting the bat on the ball. Uh, and, again, the Indians really like that. So I, I think he's an intriguing player for them. They obviously saw more Ballon and Moss. Moss, um, God, somewhat surprisingly, did not make a big league debut in 2020. I tried not to ding him too much for that. The reports out of the alternate training site were not glowing. Um, but I also, I mean, I, I tried not to get too caught up in that either. It's just such a weird setup. Not everyone, um, you know, is built for that kind of deal. I, I feel like, uh, you know, so I'll be interested to see what he has, um, you know, next year in a, a more normal season. And I would expect to see him in 21, but he did slide back, uh, the list if you buy the handbook. Um, Logan Allen, you saw him, you saw him in a variety of roles. And that's really been the thing is he's versatile enough to do a variety of things. uh, But he hasn't kind of said, he hasn't established him yet as himself yet, either as a starter or a reliever. And until he does so, um, you're going to see him keep doing this versatile thing. And that's a valuable setup. It's hard to break into the Indians rotation, uh, but again, he, he's going to have to show a little bit more to do so. He's still relatively young. I think he's 24. Uh, he's got time to do it. Um, he's, he's an important piece for them moving forward, but it, you know, putting my finger on exactly what Logan Allen is, that's a tricky thing to do right now.
0: Yeah, Logan Allen is actually still 23. doesn't turn 24 until May, so... Yes, still a very young left-hander. And and one thing I want to go back to, you know, we've studied this extensively. I kind of re-up it every year that only about one in five prospects traded at the deadline actually end up becoming consequential major leaguers. And in that sense, I thought it was important that the Indians got a guy like Cal Quantrill who was immediately ready to step in and help them in kind of that long reliever, swing reliever role. Again, Josh Naylor was not technically a prospect. He had graduated in the big leagues. We saw him have some really good performances uh, against the Yankees in the playoffs. We have to see what that looks like moving forward. But, you know, even if only one of these guys hits, combine it with Quantrill and Naylor, again, you have big league pieces that can help you. Does it equal Clevenger? No. But again, you're not coming up empty.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the, you know, Logan Allen has pitched in the big leagues. Um, you know, so he's, uh, he's gotten that, that experience already. And, uh, you know, I, I think in a different team, he probably is, you know, maybe being a more consequential piece. But, you know, the Indians have so much pitching depth that they can afford to, you know, help him develop still and, and try and figure out exactly what it is rather than labeling him, you know, bullpen piece or, or, or say, well, until you're ready as a starter, like, we don't want to see you. So, yeah, it, it's It's going to be interesting to see how all those pieces come together. And, you know, I mean, they acquired so many players in those two trades that they're going to come up with something from it. It's just hard to put your finger on which one of them is going to be the best. I mean, right now we have it ranked as Arias, you know, but if you told me it wound up being Cantillo, I don't think you, Kyle, would be surprised. I'd probably be more surprised than you would be because I know you really liked him in the Padres system. But, I mean, he's got the potential Uh, You know, and maybe they unlock Cal Quantrill. You know, just because he wasn't a consequential piece for the Padres doesn't mean that in the Indian system, with their development, that they can't figure something out to unlock him further.
0: Yeah, well, we saw Quantrill starting to become a consequential piece this year when they moved him into that swing role, and the Indians did the same, and he was even better there. So again, as you mentioned, Waltraud, I think, is a very valuable big leader moving forward. I understand the appeal of Naylor's bad, and I was on the Gabriel Arias bandwagon for a while, even when he was struggling. Uh, both the defense, but also, it's a good swing. It's not like one of those guys. that's just a bad hitter who doesn't know what he's doing up there. It's plate discipline issue. He has to tighten, but the offensive ability is there. And I mean, Cantillo. You like tall lefties who you know have nasty changeups and are growing into velocity. Yeah, that's a guy you take a shot on. And oh, by the way. Owen Miller can really, really, really hit. And as you mentioned, he's the type of guy that gets lost sometimes in prospect discussions because he's not the biggest, does not have the loudest tools, but if you consistently put the bat on the ball and hit the ball hard, someone will find a spot for you and he fits that bill. So there's no question the Indians have acquired a lot of different guys who have the potential to be something. Again, history tells us not all of them will be that thing, but if two of them hit, you end up with some pretty good ball players.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, the the quantity is important here because you need it to get the quality.
0: Absolutely. And, And I do think that is a nice way to kind of sum up the Indian system. There's a big quantity of guys, especially at the lower levels. And even if a couple of them don't hit as a lot of people hope they will. If two or three of them do, the Indians are going to be in great shape, especially given what they have in the major leagues, especially given what they have at the top of the system with Tristan McKenzie and Nolan Jones, who you feel a little more confident about. So despite everything going on with the Indians, again, the looming disappointment of Francisco Lindor probably leaving with them the next year. At least to me, it does feel like this is a team that should be competitive. Again, you don't lose Francisco Lindor and get better. But again, I just go back to you look at the pitching, you look at having Bieber and Ramirez as anchors, you look at the talent base, you look at this development group and this front office's track record. I do feel like this team can still contend for the postseason 2021, and I do think even into 2022 and 2023, as long as Ramirez and Bieber are in Indians uniforms.
1: Yeah, and you know, if you have the pitching that they have and you have the depth that they have, anytime you're in a short series you're dangerous. So, uh, the big thing for the Indians is just, can, can they get into the playoffs and then use the pitching that they have? Um, you know, can they weaponize that against teams that are maybe a little more complete, but in a short series you shut down their offense and, and suddenly, uh, you never know what can happen.
0: Yeah. Well, that was the hope against the Yankees in the wildcard series this year. <laughs> it did not, not.
1: Hasn't worked for the last three years. I should mention. But that's yeah. the idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. It didn't, didn't work out that way. But at the end of the day, if you put a true ace on the mound, it's something more than a lot of other teams can do. So, Teddy, we appreciate you coming on and joining us. And uh, thank you for your insight as always.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Kyle.
0: All right, everyone. That'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Teddy Cahill, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.